Good morning, River Church. It's good to see you here today. We just saw every week, we just end up here. It's crazy, right? End up in this movie theater. Did y'all see they have Lego Batman playing next door? That might be a good one to go see. So we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. Just a little plug for the movie theater. John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump right in. So this is, remember, we're picking up after the woman at the well. So Jesus has just gone through uh, Samaria, just met with the woman at the well, just had this life-changing experience with this woman where she uh, comes to the well, she's seeking hope, she's seeking life. She's Well, actually, she wasn't seeking hope or seeking life. She found hope and she found life, and uh, which is kind of cool because sometimes you're not even looking for it. And Jesus shows up in the strangest of places where you're not even expecting him. And, and that's, that's really cool. I think back to uh, a couple months back when Joel was preaching and uh, talking about the uh, strip club ministry that we had at college. And if you weren't here for that sermon, you might be going, uh, what? <laughs> uh, they stayed outside of the strip club, but they had, they had men that were showing up at the strip club getting saved and having their lives changed in a place that they definitely did not expect for that to happen. But sometimes God shows up and he meets you in places that you would never expect. And I think that's really, that's what happened last week. And it's really beautiful. And so anyway, so this week, Jesus is kind of moving on. He's moved on from Samaria and here he is uh, on his way to Galilee. It says, then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. So he's been here before. He's come back to the place where we saw his first miracle a couple chapters back, where he first turned the water into wine. So he's back in the same place. So he has a reputation here because he's been here before. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, He went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my son or before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves or servants met him, saying that this boy was alive. And he asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judah to Galilee. So here we have Jesus as he's come from, come through the story of or the woman at the well in Samaria. He's come to back to Galilee. And as Jesus has been going, these first four chapters of John, he's been going, he's gone from an unknown to a very known person. He's gone from, remember, John the Baptist was going before him, having to tell people about him, having to tell people that he was on the way to somebody that no one knew about unless somebody else told you about him, to somebody who, when they hear he's on the way, the crowds start to gather. When they hear his names, like, man, Jesus is coming. This Jesus is about to show up. The, the, the Christ, he's going to be here. Now the crowds are there before he even gets there. They're waiting for him. They're anticipating his arrival. 
They're looking for these miraculous signs that he's been doing. They're looking for these miracles. They want to see this Jesus perform another miracle. They've heard about it. They heard about the water being turned into wine. They heard about uh, people being healed. They've heard about the blind being able to see. They've heard about these things that Jesus is doing. And so the crowds are gathering. The crowds are showing up. The crowds are growing larger and larger and larger. But the problem with this is even though the crowds are growing larger, the disciples, the number of disciples isn't. The people who are showing up to see the miracles is growing larger and larger, but the people who understand who Jesus is and are showing up because he's Jesus, the Christ, isn't. The crowds are growing larger and larger, but those who are becoming disciples is not. And so this man hears Jesus is coming, and just like the rest of the crowds, he comes to find him. The people want to see the next miracle. They want to see Jesus prove himself again. They aren't looking for him as God. They're looking for the show. And it's becoming an issue. <laughs> and so here comes this important man. The Bible said that he was, uh, he was let me see if I can find it. He was a royal official. So this is, this is an important guy. He's a guy who's used to having power. He's a guy who's used to telling people what to do. He's a guy who's used to being the boss. And so he shows up. He hears Jesus coming. And so he shows up because his son is sick. And he pleads with Jesus to come and heal his son. And no doubt, right, the crowds would love to see this healing. They want more proof that this Jesus guy is special. They want more proof that this Jesus guy is the Christ. They want more proof that maybe he's, maybe he's somebody different. So he comes to Jesus and he begs him to come and heal his son. And then after this, after Jesus kind of says this thing about you just guys want to see the miracles, what's interesting and, and sometimes gets lost in this story is the guy doesn't actually ask Jesus to come and heal his son. He tells Jesus to come and heal his son. As a matter of fact, the, the language kind of in the Greek isn't like a question, it's a command. Now, can you imagine walking up to Jesus and telling him what to do? <laughs> No. So this guy walks up to Jesus and he gives him a, cam a command, come to my house and heal my boy because he's sick. He's looking at the one with all power because he's a guy that's used to having power. He's a guy who's used to being in control. He's a guy who's used to being the boss. And so he comes to Jesus, not understanding that Jesus is God, not understanding that Jesus is the Christ. He's not there for those reasons. He's there because his boy is sick and he wants him to get healed. And so he walks up and he gives Jesus a command, come and heal my son. He wants Jesus to come to his house, perform his little magic trick, and fix his son. The crowd wants this too. And so what does Jesus do? I actually love this because he returns a command with a command. Jesus used the same uh, emphasis, the same strong wording to say, go home. Your son will be healed. And I, I like that about Jesus because he hears the strong language that this guy comes at him with and he returns the command with the command, go home, your son will be healed. And now the guy has a choice. His choice is to travel back home, which is about 20 miles away, which would take a while to get. I mean, they didn't have the, uh, you know, they didn't even have the horse and buggy, right? He's walking 20 miles he has to trust Jesus with his most prized possession at his word. Like Jesus isn't even going to come with him. He says, go home. He's going to be fine. And so this man has a choice. Am I going to walk? Am I going to trust Jesus' words? 
and go home? Or am I going to keep looking for somebody else to heal him? Am I going to keep looking for more answers? Or am I going to just plead with him? But on faith, he goes home. And what does he find when he goes home? This incredible thing has happened. His son has been healed, and it's been healed at the exact same time that Jesus said he would be healed. And the response to that is that his whole household comes to faith in Jesus. That's a pretty cool story, right? It's, it's kind of, so it's, it's like a short story in the Bible. There's a couple of stories that are similar to it. Um, like you have the centurion's servant. You have different things that are similar. And this is actually one of, it's like a small story that sometimes gets overlooked, actually. And, and just because it's kind of, it's a short story. It's small. It's quick. You go over and you're like, well, there's maybe not too much to learn from this. I mean, Jesus is, he does a whole bunch of other things that are bigger. You know, there's bigger miracles that we've heard about. There's others, you know, like the healing the blind, making the lame walk. I mean, there's other stories like this. We can kind of pass over. And as a matter of fact, the men's group's going to dog me for this, but I almost combined this week with next week because they're both stories about healing. And I was like, well, it's just a small story. I'll, I'll pack it in with the other one. But as I started to study it, I realized that there's actually some pretty unique things that separate this story of healing completely from next week's story of healing. There's some things that um, maybe if you might just look over it and be like, yeah, it's a story of faith and stuff. But there is some pretty, there's one particular thing that Jesus and the writer John, I think, really wants to stand out to us. There's a pretty important principle for us. And so I want to talk about it, even if it's briefly this morning, because I think it's pretty key for us to catch on to. And so anyways, we'll, we'll do that. This story is about a lot of things. The first thing this story is about simply is the power of Jesus, don't you think? I mean, even like Jesus reveals his power by healing this man or this man's son, not just by healing him, but from healing him from miles and miles away. I mean, Jesus didn't have to be present for this guy to be healed. That in of itself is pretty amazing. Like Jesus is showing his amazing power. He's showing his amazing authority over life simply by speaking it into truth. Like, that's pretty incredible. I mean, today we have doctors and all these different things. You have to do procedures and all this, these different things, amazing things. Jesus has so much power in his, like, in his personhood that he can literally speak healing into truth. That's some kind of power, man. And then, you know, he doesn't even have to be present. He can do it from miles and miles away. What we learn about God's power, Jesus' power, is that he's not confined to a place. His knowledge is outside of our understanding. I mean, think about what he had to know just to heal this man's son. He had to know who this man was. He had to know who, where this man lived. He had to know who his man, this man's son was, what he was sick with. There's so many details that he had, that Jesus had to know, had to understand, that he had to get. And the only way he could get these things, the only way he could know these things, is simply because the power and the fact that he's God in the flesh. There's no other way. I mean, the guy comes up to Jesus like, heal my son. And Jesus like, I know where he's at. I know what is going on. I see him. I can heal him. That's amazing if you think about it. That's incredible. So Jesus reveals and shows us the amazing power of God, his, his knowledge, the capa his capacity and ability goes beyond our human imagination, man. His actions are incredible. <laughs> he's amazing. Our God, man, he's, he's incredible. And this isn't the only time that he heals from a distance. 
I talked about the centurion's servant. There's the Phoenician woman's daughter in Matthew chapter 15. He does this a couple more, more times in the Bible. It's incredible. Our God has the power to move mountains. He has the power to save souls. He has the power to do whatever he wants, man. And that in of itself should be an incredibly comforting thing for your spirit this morning. He is truly unlimited to what he can do. And I think that's comforting. And I think that if you're here this morning and you, got, you need God to do the impossible in your life, you need to know that the impossible is possible with God. And there's, though there's fear and though there's uncertainty, whatever the situation is, our faith has a foundation in the simple principle that our God's power is immeasurable. And it is untouchable, and he can do whatever he wills to do. And so I want to encourage you to put your trust in that this morning. So this is a story of God's power. This is also a story of God's compassion. Think about this. this in this time, sons were of this incredibly unique value. And the father uses, like when he comes up to Jesus and he says, I need you to heal my boy. My boy is sick. This is a, like he's not just defining who his son is. He's not just talking about my boy. He's using a term that shows incredible endearment. And you, what he's saying to Jesus is my heart is broken. My soul is broken because I'm losing my little boy. He's crushed. His spirit is crushed. The words he uses reveal a father whose heart is torn apart just by the idea that he could lose his little boy. He's crushed and he's terrified and we see Jesus' compassion even in his response to this man. Like, this guy's a big shot, right? I told you this. He's, he's used to giving direction. He's used to being the boss. He's used to getting what he wants. He steps up to Jesus, and he doesn't ask Jesus to heal his son. He commands Jesus to heal his son. And I know I joked about that earlier, but, man, you got to be careful with that, dude. You don't walk up to Jesus and start telling him what to do. Like Jesus had every right to say, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you're addressing. You don't know who you're stepping up to and trying to tell what to do. You better be careful, son, because I can rip this thing down, right? I can make this go very bad for you very quickly. And the thing about it is Jesus is here to reveal himself to the world. And this guy's not coming to Jesus to get saved. This guy's not coming to Jesus because he thinks he can help him. He's not coming to Jesus even because he thinks Jesus is special or God. He doesn't care about any of that. The only reason that guy's there is because he wants something from Jesus. And yet Jesus shows him compassion. Even though the guy's there for all the wrong motives, for all the wrong reasons, for Everything, right? Everything is wrong. Like if you're teaching someone like as a pastor how to go to Jesus, this guy does it all wrong. <laughs> you know, humbly address the father, ask him, you know, if it's your will, you know, all those things that we tell people to say, this guy does it all wrong. And yet Jesus shows him incredible compassion. The guy was simply there to use Jesus, to use Jesus' power, to use what he probably saw as a little, a little magic trick. You know, come do your little thing, Jesus, and fix my son. And yet Jesus shows this incredible compassion and heals his son anyway. That's cruel, man. 
that reveals to me a lot about our God. Because here's the thing that I, uh, I know about myself, and it's probably true for you too, is that there's a lot of times in my life that my motives are kind of mixed up. <laughs> and sometimes I may not think, be thinking clearly, and I come to Jesus for the wrong reasons, and my heart might be in the wrong place, and Jesus looks on me with compassion, and he heals me anyways, and he directs me anyways, and he loves me anyways, and he right, shows compassion on me that I don't deserve anyways. But it's always for a reason. Like, like Jesus shows great compassion on this guy, even though he's there for all the wrong reasons. I mean, it's not a bad reason to want your son healed. I'm not saying that. And I think if any of us were in that same position, we would, we would definitely resonate with what this what just is happening here, right? But the guy is not there for Jesus at all. He's there for totally selfish reasons. But what Jesus does is he heals him, not just to heal him but he heals him for a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal himself to him. And what you see is Jesus heal his son and in healing his son, he reveals himself to this man. And because of that, what happens? The guy gets saved and his whole family gets saved. Even in your pain, right? Jesus' healing is trying to lead you to something bigger. When Jesus is working in your life, he's trying to work for something bigger, for something better, to heal you, to grow you, to transform you. That's pretty amazing. Our God sees you in your pain. Our God sees you in your struggle. He even sees you when our motives are messed up and wrong and twisted. (laughs) And he loves you anyways. And even when we're not worthy of his love and not worthy of his compassion, he loves you and he gives it to you anyway. And his desire is to bring goodness and joy and healing into your life and to bring what's best for you into your life even if sometimes it hurts a little bit getting there. And so I want us to see this example of Christ's compassion this morning on this man and know that the same holds true for you in your own life. In that power that he has, he still has that same compassion for you to heal you and you bring you closer to him. So it's a story of God's power. It's a story of God's compassion. It's also a story of faith, if you think about it. When Jesus commanded this man to to go, he had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice to have faith in Jesus and his ability, or he had a choice to continue looking for other answers. Fortunately, this man chose to step out in faith, to trust his most precious possession, his son's life, at the words of this man that he'd only met this one time. And this Jesus who he'd only heard rumors about, this Jesus that he didn't even know, right? But to put his faith in the, of his most, most prized possession, his son's life, in Jesus' hands, and he chooses to trust the word of Jesus. And I want to point this out to you, is that Jesus forced him to make that choice, right? Like, Jesus didn't say, I'll go with you. Jesus said, I'm staying here, but you go. And so Jesus put him in a position where this man had to either choose to trust Jesus, choose to trust trust or put his faith in Jesus or not. And I think sometimes we overlook that. Like, Jesus put him in the position where he had to choose faith or not choose faith. 
And Jesus does the same thing to us as well. You know it? Sometimes because of his great love for us, because of his compassion for us, he forces us or puts us in situations where we must choose faith, where we must make a decision. Am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to put my faith in Jesus? Or am I going to put my faith in something else? Why does, he, why does he do this? Well, for this man, he put him in this situation because it would lead to salvation, which is a pretty big one if you think about it, <laughs> right? But there's other times. Like, for example, I was thinking about the things that Jesus has put, the situations he's put me in this last year, right? It's kind of some crazy stuff. <laughs> but, like, I even think about this church plant, like the choice to make step out on faith for me and my family to pursue this church plant something that we know God was directing us to do we stepped out right in a way we're stepping out in faith and every step of the way it's done what it's expanded our faith it's expanded our trust in Jesus so God puts us in puts you in positions where you have to choose faith for the purpose of expanding your faith of growing your faith of growing your relationship with him And sometimes it's scary, right? Like you feel like you're stepping off a cliff maybe sometimes. But every time you step off that cliff, every time you take that step of faith, you choose to take that step of faith and God is faithful, your faith grows. Every single time. It's just like we sang in the song today, he's never going to let me down. And maybe we're singing that song because we have to force ourselves to believe it sometimes. Sometimes we know it to be true. Sometimes we're just hoping it's true, right? Like, if, right? But every time we stay, take that step, we know it to be true more and more and more. Does that make sense? Every time you take that step and he is faithful, you know that it is true more and more and more. So this is a story about God's power. It's a story about God's compassion on us. It's a story about our faith, putting our faith in Jesus. It's a story about all of those things. But it's also a story about none of those things. The main idea that John the writer is wanting us to take from this story is, is wrapped up in verse 48. So as much as this is a story about all of those things, it's actually, it's like, it's like both. It's weird. It's like all of them, but none of them at the same time. Here's what verse 48 says. And Jesus told them, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is a little frustrated at this point. Like one of the most amazing things, and I know I'm harping on it, but one of the things that amazes me about this story is that this guy, this dude shows up and completely misunderstands who Jesus is, is completely misunderstanding the purpose that Jesus is even here. And yet Jesus, like he's just there for his own selfish reasons. And yet Jesus heals him anyways. Like to him, Jesus was just a magician. And yet Jesus chooses to heal him anyways. To me, that's incredible, right? But this is the dilemma that Jesus is in because he's healing, he's saving, he's performing these miracles and the crowds are growing, the disciples aren't. And what you see in this crowd, you have kind of, you have three, you got three types of people in this crowd. You got the disciples, the people that are sold out, the people that um, are all in, the people that in a few short years are going to die horrible deaths because of their faith in Jesus. 
the ones who are all in, who are going, I'm going to this thing no matter what, because I believe, I know that he's the son of God and he's come here to save us and to set us free. You got those people in the crowd. Then you have the people who are kind of the here for the show people. They're the ones that they're just kind of there because they've been hearing the rumors about this Jesus guy. They want to see the next trick. They want to see the next miracle. They don't really care who this, who Jesus is. They just want to see the show. And as a matter of fact, in a couple chapters, we're going to see these people drop off pretty quick because Jesus is going to start challenging them and he's going to start calling them to be disciples and not just people showing up to check out the show. And so these people are going to drop off like flies here in a minute. And then there's a third group. And I think that the third group of people is the one that Jesus directs that, that quote to, that, that verse 48. I think this is the one that he directs that to. And this, these people are the curious. These people are the ones who genuinely are curious about who Jesus is. They think there might be something special about this guy. They think that, that there might be something different about him. They think that he might be the Christ. They just want a little bit of proof. They want him to do another miracle so that they can see who he is. They want to, man, do another one, Jesus, and we'll believe. Do, do one more, and then, then we'll believe. And this is, I think this is the group that Jesus is talking to. They want him to prove himself with some miracle, some kind of power. And what's amazing is this group's like never satisfied. And I think it's chapter five, we'll see where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And what's amazing about that story is Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he's trying to reveal to them that he's God. Like that's kind of the purpose of this is him showing them that he's God. And then immediately after he heals the 5,000, they're like, hey, Jesus, do like a, do something else so that we can really know that you're God. Really? And I, I just fed 5,000 people with like a fish and like breadsticks from Olive Garden and you want like... And you're saying, do another one? Come on, people. <laughs> they won't believe unless he keeps doing these signs and wonders, and he's frustrated with this crowd. He wants them to believe because he's the Savior of the world. They, he wants them to get past the miracles. They're stuck on the miracles, and what Jesus is trying to show them is the point isn't the miracles. The point is the greatest miracle that God in the flesh is here to save you, man. And so sadly, many of that crowd is going to fall off too. And ultimately, what that verse is, that verse 48 is, for us today, it's kind of a warning in a way. It's kind of a warning for us to check the foundations of our own faith. And I know that that may seem like a little bit dramatic, but I think it is a challenge to us because the problem with this crowd that Jesus is talking to is the foundation of their faith was the miracle. They needed another miracle. They needed another sign to keep their faith going, to keep their faith strong. And maybe I know that we're probably not in here like, you know, Jesus needed Mike to bring up a bottle of water and him to pour it out and it turned into wine. And then I'll believe, right? We maybe not, maybe we're not that crowd, right? <clears throat> Some of you might like that, but we need to talk about that later. But, uh, but I think we need to check and ask the question, where are our own foundations for our faith? Because sometimes if we have our foundation, if we have our trust in something different than Jesus, we're going to get lost. For this third crowd, their foundation was signs and miracles. 
And what Jesus is saying to them is when the storm gets hard, when life gets hard, like we were singing today, my anchor holds in the storm. When life gets hard, if that's your foundation, you're not going to be able to hold strong. It's gonna, you're going to be broken. And so this kind of breaks down in a few ways for us. Like this crowd was here seeking proof of faith. They wanted the miraculous. They wanted Jesus to perform the miracles. And there's nothing wrong with miracles, right? Like we like it when Jesus does miracles, don't we? Like Jesus was performing miracles back then and he still is doing it today, man. Like he's performing the miraculous even today. God moved then, God moves now. But what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that the miracle isn't the point. I want you to look past the miracle and see the Christ, that see that Jesus has come to bring so much more than that and to see that the miraculous cannot be, will not be the basis for your faith. I heard a pastor telling a story about a family in his church, and this might get me in trouble, but he was talking about the CNEs. Y'all know about the CNEs? So the CNEs are the, are the kind of the people that they go to church Christmas and Easter, and I know that's going to get me in trouble, but there's a group of people that they go to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's fine, whatever. I'm not, not calling you out. Obviously, you're not them because it's not Christmas or Easter. So uh, anyways, so, uh, but if you know any of them, don't tell them I said that. So anyways, this pastor's telling the story about a family in their church, that that's kind of who they were, you know. And uh, the, the wife and the family came down sick, and she had a terminal illness. And so what happened is she got really serious about her faith all of a sudden, right? And so they're in the hospital, and they're talking to the, to the pastor, and they're like, hey, we, we want you to pray for a miracle. Pray that God saves her. God, pray that God, you know, all these things. They said, man, we just, we're just telling God that they were kind of in that bargaining stage, you know. If God, if you'll heal her, then we'll go to church every week. We're going to totally devote our lives to you. We're going to give it all to you, Jesus. And he's telling the story. And he said, you know what happened? She had this terminal illness, and God healed her. Like, amazingly, doctors are dumbfounded. It's incredible. God healed her. God saved her. And you'd better believe that the next week they were in church. And the next week after that, they were in church. And the next week after that, they were in church. And the next week after that, just the wife was in church. Y'all probably know where this is going, right? And the next week after that, ain't nobody was in church. And the point of that story, the point of what he was saying it wasn't to bash those people, but it was that their faith was simply founded on the fact that God did something miraculous in their lives that one time. But there was nothing deeper than that for their faith. And what's true for us today, just as it was back then, there has to be something deeper than that, just that one miracle. Otherwise, you're not going to stay. Because what happens is the further away you get from the miracle, the more you forget what God did. And the further away you get from the miracle, the less power it has. And so what happens is you start seeking another miracle. God, I need another one. I need you to give me another sign. I need you to do another one. And so what happens is you become like in a different way like I was in uh, junior high and high school uh, where I was like my, my miracle was the church camp. And so what I needed was church camp to get me pumped up and help me to live for Jesus. And so I was real great for a couple weeks after church camp. And then I was like, right, going downhill. And then I needed a D now. We did D now weekend. And at D now, I was like, all right, I'm good again. And then a couple weeks after that, right. And so I, kept, I needed these like shots in the arm to get me going, get me pumped up because my faith wasn't deep enough to keep me steady all the way through. And so I kept needing that shot in the arm. And it's, it's kind of the same way. And what Jesus is saying is it needs to be founded on something more than the miraculous, the big moment, right? 
to keep you strong, to keep you walking in faith. And what we have to understand about the miraculous is that the miraculous is, is what is God does it today, but he does it for his glory. He does it to reveal himself. He does it to heal his children. He does it for sometimes in extreme circumstances. But if our faith is simply based on signs and wonders, it's actually going to be a shallow faith. We need something deeper than that. Jesus is more, here's the thing about it, is that Jesus is more than the miracle, which sounds crazy. But don't settle for the miracle when you have Jesus. Because even though the miracle is incredible, what you're missing is the one who has the ability to do the miracle, which is exponentially more incredible, right? The second way this kind of plays out for us that can sometimes be dangerous is seeking um, not so much miracles, but seeking signs and wonders and God speaking to us to direct our lives. And you're like, Mike, you don't think God should direct your lives? No, I do. Absolutely, 100%. But what happens a lot of times is God will tell you to do something. God will direct you. And then we get stuck because we're like, all right, God, I know that you said that, but I just need one more sign. Give me another one. All right, like this week I was reading up on, uh, I was reading the story about Gideon, the guy that my son was named after. And so God is, in the story of Gideon, the Old Testament, God is telling him to, to go and attack this army. And Gideon goes to God and he's like, all right, now God, I know you're telling me to do this, but just, just to prove it to me, I'm going to put a fleece down in the grass. And what I want you to do is, in the morning, I'm going to come to the fleece, and I want the fleece to be covered in dew, but all the grass around it to be perfectly dry. He's testing God. And amazingly, you know what God does? Gideon shows up, the fleece is wet, the grass is dry. Do you think that would be enough proof to follow through what God told you to do? Don't you think? I mean, it would be for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. No, I am, but I'm not trying to be arrogant. I try to follow Jesus. That's my point. Anyways, um, I'm going to lose my job. All right. So then Gideon shows up and you know what he does? He's like, all right, God, don't get mad at me, but I need a little bit more proof. So what he does is he puts the fleece down again. He says, this time I want the fleece to be dry and all the grass around it to be covered in dew. And like, if I was God, I would have just struck him with lightning right there. I mean, like, all right, I'm not doing another one for you, guy. But instead, what he does is God, he shows up the next day and God does it amazingly. And then God's like, if that's not enough proof, go down there and, and listen to this guy and tell about his dream. And the guy goes, he's like, all right. So then he still doesn't believe, goes down, here's the dream. And the dream's like this guy telling about how he had a dream that Gideon was going to go kill all these people with his army. And Gideon's like, all right, now I believe. He needed three signs, guys. My point is sometimes God speaks in our lives. Sometimes God directs your life. Sometimes God tells you what to do and we get stuck in the mud because well, I just need another one. Tell me one more time. Tell me one more time. Tell me one more time. And I just want to encourage you in a way, I really just want to set you free. I want you to, to say to you, listen to the voice of God. And when he directs you, move, man. Go. Step into it. Don't step back and say, I need another one. I need another one. Like for me, the way this played out, in the, one of the biggest ways in my life was, I man, I knew God called me to be a pastor from the time I was like 12, okay? But after I graduated high school, I went to Belize and lived there, did this whole thing, right? And I went, at one point, I was struggling with God, what God wanted me to do. Like, I was praying. I was like, God, I don't know which. And God's like, Mac, you idiot. I've told you the whole time. Like, you know, I've, I've told you. 
And so what I did was I was like, I'm not sure. So I'm going to take three days. I'm going to go to this little, it was an Airbnb before Airbnb, Airbnb. And I, so I went to this little, this little house and I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to stay there for three days. I'm going to pray and fast and ask God what he wants me to do with my life. And, uh, the people out there thought I was crazy. Like they could, they didn't speak great English. So they thought like I was just out there to die because I wasn't eating anything. And they were real worried. Like there's one guy who kept bringing me corn. He's like, eat. And I'm like, fasting. But anyways, it was, I'm sorry, I'm off again. But anyways, so I'm there, I'm there praying and fasting. I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> I've lost it. I'm sorry. They just didn't understand what I was trying to do. I was just this like crazy guy at this house, holed up in a room, playing music and praying. They were, they were, they were not used to that. Okay. So anyway, so I'm there, I'm doing this, I'm praying, I'm seeking God, trying to ask him, what am I supposed to do? What? And I remember going to this little, uh, um, this little like lake that they had on the property and I'm sitting around there and it was like, it was kind of like this hidden lake. So it's this lake surrounded by this, like these trees and you really had to like fight your way in to get into it. And so I got in there and I'm just praying and I'm asking God, what do I need to do? I'm like, I'm literally, I'm like, God, I need to sign. I want something big. Like I want, and if y'all want to know the truth, like part of it was like, I don't want to be poor because pastors are poor, you know? And so I was like, it was, it was a thing, you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm praying about this and I'm trying to deal with it. I'm like, God, give me a sign. And you know, we're always looking for the big sign. And the truth of it is that oftentimes the, the majority of the way God speaks to us is in the still, quiet voice. And so the truth is he'd already given me the signs. He had already directed my path. He'd already told me what the heck I needed to be doing. And so even that moment, I'm begging him for a sign. I'm like, God, do a miracle. Speak to me. Like, I want to hear your voice. Like, I'm praying like I've never prayed before. I want to hear your voice. And then in the simplest of ways, it wasn't even like a big voice. It was just like a confirming in my spirit of, you know what to do. And it kind of hurt a little bit because I wanted the big miracle, you know. I wanted the big thing. I wanted the, and the reason I guess why I bring that up is because I don't want you to get stuck in your relationship with God. Like when he's telling you to move and he's trying to direct you and he's trying to grow you and he's asking you to step out on faith, I want you to get off your butt and do it. Because if your relationship with God and I only move when he comes in the big thunderstorm and is screaming it in my face, you're going to miss a whole lot. And you're going to get stuck a whole lot. What you need to do is, is listen to God when he speaks and then move. And he's going to speak to you in a whole myriad of ways. I mean, he's going to speak to you through the Bible, through prayer, through um, other people coming to you and talking to you. He's going to speak to you in worship. He's going, to, he's going to speak to you in all different kinds of ways, right? And it's not always going to be in the huge thunderstorm, lightning. <laughs> Here's what you're supposed to do, right? But hear his voice and then have the faith like this man had to let God's voice and God's word be enough and to step out on faith and to walk in it. And then what you're going to see is the son healed and the family saved. But you have to have the faith to do it because what this all wraps back around to is having faith in something more than just a huge miracle, but having faith in the one who provides the miracle, having faith in Jesus and knowing that he's here for something so much more than just the lightning strike. He's here to grow your faith. He's here to direct your life. He's here to grow, to, to help you to know him more, to expand your faith in him. And, and just like here, his frustration with these people was he was there to die on the cross for them and save their souls. 
the most incredible miracle of all, but they couldn't get past it because they were stuck on Jesus, feed more people, make it bigger, do, it, do more, do more, do more. I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be you. I want our faith and our relationship with Jesus to be constantly moving forward, step by step at a time. I want to see God do incredible, huge things in your life. And sometimes that happens in the smallest and simplest of ways of just listening to him in the quiet moments and taking that step when he told you to take it, not asking for him to show you 20 more signs. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for the fact that you save and you heal and you move. And sometimes you speak to us in the still, quiet voice. God, I pray that if there's anyone in here today and they're struggling with that, God, they're struggling with, they've been waiting for the big lightning strike. They've been waiting for the huge signs, but you've already told them what to do. God, I pray that you would, um, in the simplest of ways of saying this, help them get off, off their butt and follow you. God, help them to take that step off the cliff so that you can grow their faith, so that you can expand their faith and grow their relationship with you, Lord. Help us to have faith in you in that way, God. I love you, God. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.